When it comes to the topic of the end times, eschatology, Matthew 24, 3-14 is one of the go-to passages, as well as the proof text, that Jesus is coming very soon. But was that the Lord's intent? I believe the emphasis is more on what to expect while expecting His return and what Jesus expects of all who are expecting. Hi, this is Hansen from Archipus Awakening, a ministry dedicated to the awakening of the saints that we may all know and fulfill our God-given kingdom assignments. This is what Kingdom 101 is all about. We revisit kingdom fundamentals to know Jesus our King, to embrace His kingdom that we may receive and move on kingdom assignments according to His kingdom ways. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord Jesus, you be declared in this teaching. And Holy Spirit, open our eyes so that we can see and we can respond correctly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Getting into Matthew 24, we continue our study of Jesus' fifth and final discourse. Although the focus is about kingdom readiness, for the coming of the King, it must be considered alongside all the other four discourses about kingdom ways, kingdom assignments, kingdom wisdom, and kingdom relationships. We will see this more clearly as we unpack today's passage. The fifth discourse has two parts. Matthew 23 is public in the temple. Matthew 24 verses 1 to 3 transitions to a private teaching on the Mount of Olives, also known as the Olivet Discourse. We will pick up from Matthew 24, 3, where the disciples ask about the predicted destruction of the temple and the expected restoration of the kingdom, marked by the coming of Jesus the King at the end of the age. Matthew 24 verse 3. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Instead of answering directly, Jesus skips the first question and proceeds to address the second question first. Well, Jesus doesn't provide a straightforward answer, not for now at least. Instead, he shares generally about what will take place and how things will be before he returns. While expecting his coming, Jesus tells his disciples that certain events are to be expected and also what is expected of them. This is what Matthew 24, 3-14 is essentially about. When a woman is pregnant, expecting, Certain developments, changes, and experiences can be expected. Hormones, weight, hair, skin, shape, labor, contractions. These are all expected while expecting. The language of childbirth is employed in the scriptures too. In Matthew 24 verse 8 in the ESV, Jesus said, All these are but the beginning of birth pains. This is not a new idea, but one drawn from Old Testament prophetic passages that described extremely difficult times. 
causing Israel to yearn for God's intervention and deliverance, looking towards Messiah and the restoration of the kingdom. For example, Isaiah 26 verse 17, As a woman with child is in pain and cries out in her pangs, when she draws near the time of her delivery, so have we been in your sight, O Lord. Jeremiah 6, 24, Anguish has taken hold of us, pain as of a woman in labor. Micah chapter 4, verses 9 to 10, For pangs have seized you like a woman in labor. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in birth pangs. By the time of Jesus, this term, birth pains, came to mean the birth pains of the Messiah, denoting a period of distress preceding the Messianic age. When Messiah finally comes, in the day of the Lord, the tables will be turned. These pains once experienced by God's people will now be experienced by Messiah's enemies. In Isaiah chapter 13, verses 6 to 8, pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. Paul employs the same image when describing the day of the Lord. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. In light of this, as we are waiting for and expecting Jesus' coming, certain events and developments can be expected. Understanding this helps us interpret Matthew 24, 3-14 more accurately. But before we get to what can be expected and what is expected of those who are expecting, let us consider seven general observations. Contrary to popular belief, this passage does not list specific events to indicate Jesus' coming for the purpose of determining the time of His coming. Instead, it presents a general setting, the eschatological backdrop, canvas, picture, the context, that disciples will find themselves in and must navigate through as they wait for the coming of Jesus as they look to the restoration of the kingdom of God. Jesus presents and describes certain general scenarios or situations of what will take place across this eschatological setting. This is so that we will know when we find ourselves in such scenarios. And in such situations, we will know what is expected of us and how to respond rightly. Matthew 24, 3-14 is not an entirely new list, but a summary. Most of what is shared has already been mentioned before. Jesus was representing what he had taught earlier. The eschatological context and setting help provide better and clearer perspective to the teachings. This summary serves as a reminder as well as an emphasis. Because the disciples asked for the sign, singular, of Jesus' coming, it is easy to presume that this is what the list refers to. As such, many consider these scenarios as indications of the end or how close we are to the end. Not necessarily. 
Jesus himself preempted such presumptions. In 24 verse 6, all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. In verse 8, all these are just the beginning of birth pains. You know, Serene and I have gone through seven EDDs, expected date of delivery. Expecting mothers will tell you how tough it is to wait as the date approaches. For our first child, at every contraction, we thought that baby would come immediately. No. It ended up we went to the hospital way too early, which presented other issues. For the other six, Serene decided to wait, trusting in God's perfect timing, not the EDDs. Our youngest was finally born at home, and I had the opportunity and the privilege to be the midwife to deliver this baby. Matthew 24 verse 13, The one who endures to the end, well, that just means that it's not the end. You see, these are not the sign of the end, but scenarios and events that would happen throughout history. These are more likely signs of the times, the kairos, the moments of opportunity that God would take us through. But this is not the sign of the end of the coming. These would serve as reminders of how we are to respond as we expect Jesus' return. The emphasis is not on what happens, but how to live in light of what happens. There's also a tendency to read this list sequentially or consequentially. Well, this is possible, but not entirely or necessarily so. It is even more tempting to identify events by this list and try to force fit these into some prophetic insight or fulfillment, as many have done. These scenarios can take place anytime and in any order. It's not sequential. Jesus said that he would come soon, and the disciples expected that. But they soon realized that it did not mean short term. With the benefit of hindsight, after 2,000 years, we get to understand this so much better. Matthew 24, 3-14 does not have to refer to a particular generation or a time frame. It is applicable throughout the entire inter-advent period between the first and the second coming of Jesus and thus is applicable to every generation across all time frames. Well, we may sense and know that the coming of Jesus is soon, but even so, the end is not yet. Finally, when these happen and are encountered, we should not be surprised. These are all to be expected. We are not surprised at all. Instead, having expected these, we should know how to respond. These seven points will help us approach and apply the passage more accurately. Keep in mind this setting. Observe generally the scenarios. Don't miss the emphasis of the summary. These are not the sign. These are not sequential, not short-term. We need not be surprised by all that takes place. These are all expected while we are expecting the Lord's return. 
I believe that the right way to approach this passage is to take it collectively and generally, rather than individually and specifically. Well, can certain events and scenarios fit into this list? Of course. But do these events confirm any date or time frame of the Lord's coming? Not necessarily. To focus too much on such details may and will distract us from what is truly important, critical and essential. It wasn't about date setting or event tracking, even though we're supposed to watch and pray and to discern the signs of the times. It was about remaining faithful to what we are supposed to do against a very challenging backdrop. This is what Matthew 24, 3-14 is all about. Now that we understand how to approach the passage, we are ready to examine the list a bit more closely. Firstly, while expecting, what is to be expected? Secondly, what is expected of those who are expecting? So, what can we expect? What are the seven scenarios that make up the eschatological setting? Matthew 24, verses 4 to 5. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Do not be deceived or be led astray by false messianic claims. Even before Jesus and then after Jesus, there have been many self-declared Christs. Not just then, but even to this present age. I'm sure you must have heard of many cults that have gone before and even are happening now. It's amazing how these can openly and boldly declare that they are Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Christ. And it's even more amazing how so many people believe and follow and are led astray. Yet we should not be surprised. It's expected. Jesus already told us that there will be many impostors and many will be deceived. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, John warned that the spirit of the Antichrist is already around. Little children, it is the last hour. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know it is the last hour. This paves the way for the final Antichrist who will position himself as Saviour and even God. Well, in the midst of difficult times, he will promise peace and prosperity, and it is very tempting to follow a charismatic character offering salvation and deliverance. Do not be deceived or led astray by such characters, by false messianic claims. If we do not learn how to discern these now, we will be deceived later. Know Jesus the King, know His Word, embrace His Kingdom. Matthew 24, 6 and 7 And you will hear of wars and rumours of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. You will hear of wars and rumours, news, reports of wars. 
It doesn't have to be a major regional or world war. We are supposed to be in a time of peace and yet not a day goes by against some fight going on somewhere in the world. And there is always some threat or tension that these may escalate into a large-scale global war. Jesus states the reason very clearly. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Nations do not always refer to countries as we know them today. Nations refer to ethnic or people groups. And as long as one group wants to get the better of another, or consider the other as a threat that should be disposed of, there will be fights between these and such groups. James chapter 4, verse 1 reminds us, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? When all these things happen, we should not be surprised at all. Expect it. We are not to be troubled also or alarmed because these are expected. But these wars do not signal the end. It prepares us for that one final battle when Christ will defeat all his enemies. Make sure you're on the right side. As long as there are different nations, different peoples, and different ideologies, there will be fights and wars. Only in Christ can there be true peace and restoration. Shalom is found only in the one new man in Christ. Matthew 24, 7 and 8 And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows or the beginning of the birth pains. Natural disasters are to be expected. Famines and pestilences can be a result of wars, a function of weather patterns, and also poor stewardship of Earth's resources. There's of course a recent focus on climate change, extreme weather conditions, lots and lots of debate whether these are real or fabricated. In any case, we should not be surprised. All expected. Earthquakes have been happening throughout history. Now, have these been increasing? Well, some say yes, but others say no. Is the increase real or is it perceived? Well, in a report, it says that it is a myth. Overall, the average occurrence of earthquakes remain unchanged. From year to year, earthquake frequency does vary somewhat. However, over a longer time frame, there is no scientific evidence of more earthquakes. Another report says this, It may seem that earthquakes are happening more often, but this is not the case. So why do we think that earthquakes are increasing? This other person says this, We are not necessarily experiencing more earthquakes than before. But the new technologies enable us to record more earthquakes than even 50 years ago. And the power of the internet means we all know about them more quickly as well. Hmm, I know the debate is still out there. What do you think? In any case, these are all expected. We should not be surprised. But it's not the end. All these things, the wars, the famines, the earthquakes, pestilences, these are all birth pains. Natural disasters are referring most likely to creation groaning 
In Romans chapter 8, verse 22, Paul says, We know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. All these would prepare us for that final earthquake when Jesus finally returns. Where? At the Mount of Olives, the place of the Olivet Discourse, prophesied in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4, as well as Revelation 16, verse 18. And so all these things expected, no surprises to us. See that you're not alarmed. See that you're not troubled by such occurrences. And also, don't be fooled by people who capitalize on such events. Matthew 24, verse 9, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Birth pains can also refer to the challenges and distresses faced by believers of Jesus. As we have already explored earlier, whenever the enemies attacked, the cries of God's people were described as like a woman in labor, the anguish as of her who brings forth her first child. The Greek word for tribulation is phlipsis, referring to persecution as well as distress. In teaching about the narrow way in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Jesus said that the narrow way would be difficult. This word is described from the same word phlipsis. In Matthew 10, 16-20, Jesus warned the disciples to expect persecution because they were being sent out as sheep among wolves. Some will be killed. Don't expect the world to love you. Instead, expect to be hated by all nations because we believe in Jesus and desire to live according to kingdom ways. It happened back then. And in the post-Christian environment today, we are seeing the same reactions. All expected. We should not be surprised. In expecting the return of Jesus, we can expect such external challenges. Paul told Timothy that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's funny how we tend to expect the opposite, isn't it? No wonder so many are disappointed and discouraged. Matthew 24, verse 10. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. As if external challenges are not bad enough, we can also expect internal challenges to come from within the body of Christ. There will be offense, betrayal, and the hating of one another. Offense refers to being stumbled, to fall, to fall away from the faith. And many will be offended and will fall away because of tribulation, persecution, as well as rejection. Jesus already warned the disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 21. These are all to be expected. Jesus also taught about offenses as well as kingdom relationships in Matthew 18. How to deal with these offenses with sin that will trap and that will stumble, and as well as the need to forgive, the imperative of restoration in kingdom relationships. Is it not true that we have encountered many who have been hurt by church leaders, fellow brothers and sisters? If we can't even resolve such differences among ourselves, how then do we handle both 
external and internal challenges when they happen at the same time. And again, this is only to be expected. No surprises here. While we may pray for a great revival, Paul warns of a great falling away in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Offences and falling away. Expected. No surprises. Matthew 24, verse 11. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. A backdrop of pain and confusion is a perfect setting for promises of hope and deliverance by false prophets. Unlike the first point, these do not claim to be the Christ. These false prophets will claim to speak on His behalf and their ministries will be questionable. Jesus once again warned of these already in Matthew 7, 15-23, and will mention these again in Matthew 24, verse 24. In fact, the apostles later warned of these too, and also not just false prophets, but also false apostles and false teachers. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 and also 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. All these false prophets, apostles, teachers, they will be destroyed. And those who follow them too will face destruction. Again, all expected, no surprises at all. There are so many prophetic types these days, promising all kinds of things. And again, if we do not learn to discern these, we will not be able to identify the false prophet of the Antichrist when he appears. My brothers and sisters, do not be deceived or be led astray. Jesus warns that there will be many of these and many will be deceived. Do not be impressed by the outward, not even by these abilities to perform signs and wonders because these may be lying signs and wonders. Their doctrines are unsound and destructive. Their fruit will be marked by lawlessness. And we've already seen too many exposed through the same issues of money, sex, and power. Do not be deceived. All these expected. Matthew 24, verse 12. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Lawlessness will increase and become widespread. Morality will become more and more subjective. Evil will be seen as good, and good will be regarded as evil. And this will prepare the way for the lawless one, the Antichrist. Now, lawlessness is just another word for sin. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, we are reminded, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Lawlessness is the opposite of righteousness, and righteousness is exactly what the kingdom of God is all about. False prophets and teachers will tell you that in Christ you're already the righteousness of God, so there is no need to practice righteousness or live righteously at all. This is a lie. 
John clearly warns that whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. He goes on and links righteousness with love. Nor is he who does not love his brother. My friends, righteousness and love go together. And so we see that lawlessness is actually unrighteousness, which leads to lovelessness. And since love is the fulfillment of the law, then lawlessness would point quickly to lovelessness. That's what it means when love will grow cold. It will be redefined to mean what we want it to mean. Love will be selfish instead of selfless. Love will act for our own good instead of another person's good. This is what agape actually means. Every man will be for himself. Apathy will be the order of the day. Oh friends, this is the total opposite to the ways of the king and his kingdom. And these are all expected. We should not be surprised. See, all these seven scenarios are to be expected. There are no surprises at all. This is the eschatological setting, the backdrop, the picture, the canvas. As we are expecting the Lord's coming, all these will take place. Instead of trying to pray these away, we are to be prepared for what is expected by knowing what is expected of us. Now that we know what is to be expected by those who are expecting, let's see what is expected of those who are expecting. From this passage, Jesus expects two things of all of us, His disciples. Number one, endurance is expected. Matthew chapter 24, verse 13. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Jesus doesn't paint a pretty picture for the disciples. He didn't tell them that things were going to get better. He told them that the challenges will always be there and may even get a lot worse. No sugarcoating at all. Was it easy? No. Was it expected? Yes. And here was his exhortation. Do not be alarmed. Don't be troubled. Don't be deceived. Don't be led astray. Don't be offended. Don't fall away. Instead, endure, endure, endure. This word endure comes from a Greek that means to remain under, to bear up under the weight of the pressure, to stand strong and to endure. You know, in the book of Revelation, it carries the same message for believers. Endure, persevere, hold fast, keep the faith. We are expected to endure to the end. And the end can mean the end of our lives, whenever that happens, or the end of the age when the Lord comes. And we endure by looking to the promise of the hope of a future salvation and the fullness of the kingdom. Whatever happens around us or to us, we are to endure. This is expected of us who are expecting the coming of the Lord. And endurance is only possible if we know who our King is. 
And if we are well grounded in the things of His kingdom and living in community of the kingdom so that we can encourage one another when the going gets tough to remind each other, endure, endure. This is expected of us. The second thing that Jesus expected of all of us, His disciples, is the declaration of the euangelion. And that just means the good news, the gospel. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. And this gospel, the euangelion, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Euangelion is the Greek word for gospel or good news. It refers to a herald that announces the arrival of the king and the benefits of his kingdom. Against the backdrop of bad news, disciples are expected to declare the message of good news of the kingdom. The same good news that Jesus declared and demonstrated. Not some watered-down version of being saved, sit in the church and wait to go to heaven. Not some adulterated version that promises health and wealth and everything you want on this side of eternity. The good news of the kingdom means everything that Jesus taught. Repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. It includes the five kingdom discourses kingdom ways, kingdom assignments, kingdom wisdom, kingdom relationships, and also kingdom readiness. This good news is to be shared with all the world and to all nations, everyone that we come into contact with. This good news is to be a testimony and a witness, not just in word, but also in deed. Our lives must testify to the goodness of the King and the good news of the Kingdom. This is expected of us who are expecting the coming of the Lord, totally consistent with the Great Commission that Jesus will issue later in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Against this extremely challenging backdrop, the King promises to be with us all the way until He returns. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In season and out of season, in good and in tough times, we are to preach and to declare the word and the good news of the kingdom. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5, Paul then tells Timothy, don't just preach. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your kingdom assignments. What we receive of the Christ in the assembly area, we are to reveal the Christ in our areas of operation. Jesus presented the battle zone that kingdom soldiers have to fight in and endure through. But in this environment, in discomfort, persecution, and pain, and even for some, death, the kingdom will thrive and manifest. Yes, there's a lot of bad news, but it will not overcome the good news. There's going to be lots of darkness, but it will not overcome the light. This one verse 
of the good news trumps all the other verses of the bad news. You have a choice. You can keep looking at the seven things that are expected or you can do the one thing that is expected of you. You can keep making excuses about how bad things are or you can make a difference by showing others how good Jesus and His kingdom is. As we go about what is expected of us, the end will come. The revelation of the king and the kingdom makes way for the return of the king. Is Matthew 24, 3-14 the proof text for confirming end-time prophecies and the determining of how close we are to Jesus' return? Tempting. And I must admit to have also used this passage for such purposes before. Yet, when read and studied in context, with the benefit of hindsight and experience, I believe the emphasis is more on what to expect while expecting His return. And more importantly, what Jesus expects of all who are expecting. We can make this passage say many things. Yet as far as Jesus is concerned, two things are critical. Number one, endure to the end. And number two, declare the greatness of the King and the good news of His Kingdom. Each time we see or experience these scenarios played out, it should prompt us to ask, am I doing what the Lord said to do? Am I living and preaching the Kingdom? Am I revealing the Christ? Am I ready for the end of the age, for His coming? Let me close with a paraphrase of what I believe the Lord wants to say to all who believe and are expecting His return. Yes, I am the King, and I'm definitely coming back. The kingdom will be fully restored. It's going to be great. But in the meantime, it's not going to be easy or cushy. All these things will take place around you, to you, and within you. Don't be deceived, distracted, or discouraged. Endure and keep keeping on. Declare the good news of the kingdom to as many as possible. Know and fulfill your kingdom assignments. See you soon, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for leaving us instructions. Thank you for showing us what will happen so that we need not be surprised. Even so, Lord, when it happens, it can be challenging. We can be troubled. But we thank you for that peace that overcomes all these things, that comes by faith, Lord. Hold us steady. Help us, Lord, endure. And also teach us, Lord, to encourage one another so that we can run across that finishing line together and to meet you when you return. We expect you, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Help us see that day, Lord, and rejoice and celebrate when we finally meet you. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining me for another Kingdom 101 teaching. For past teachings, visit our website, kingdom101.archipusawakening.org. Until the next time, this is Hansen signing off. Stay awakened, aligned, and assigned. God bless you.